All right. I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got Florida State legend and New York Jets linebacker legend, Mr. Marvin Jones. Marvin, how's everything going for you? Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time. So first question for you is, what the hell's going on with these Jets? <laughs> oh, man, I got double trouble. But uh, I think the thing with the Jets is, I mean, they're just having a tough time. I just think they're not talented as much as the other teams. I think you go through the transition of looking at Mike McCagnin, you know, the last GM. I mean, they don't have any draft picks on the team from when he was there. So there hasn't been anything they've been able to build a foundation on. And I think when you're talking about football, you have to have different levels of foundation. You have to have some first-year guys, some second-year, third, fourth-year guys, some guys mixed in, and they just been haven't been able to to build anything. And it's it's costing them uh, big time. And one of the things that I kind of worry about and I see happening is that you got a first-round quarterback that – in many cases, I mean, if you go back to uh, he, he was drafted on the tall bowls, he didn't play. And a lot of times you don't play rookies for a certain reason because you put them out there in the fire too early, it can kind of damage their psyche. And, you know, he sat that whole year uh, pretty much. The, uh, then he come back into last year, come in with having mono, um, missing games, uh, come back, they finished the season six and two. They started this year off 0-4, which there has been like nothing that has transitioned from 6-2 and two to now. Um, they've just not been able to get everybody, all their playmakers on the field at the same time. You look at last year, no Mosley. Um, <laughs> they lose Robbie Anderson in this year. Um, Le'Veon Bell looked like he pretty much had a pretty good first game, and then, you know, he pulls a hamstring. So they have not been able to have any consistency from anybody on either side of the ball. I mean, they got Mosley. Hell, he ain't played in two years, and they're paying him out of the pocket. I mean, I would love to be that guy. <laughs> no, no. And speaking of McCagney, did you ever see that story? I think it came out like last year, Larry David. You know Larry David from Kirby and Yeah, I know. I met Larry David before. He apparently told McCagney to take Lamar Jackson on draft night. He said, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Well, the thing was, when I was there <laughs> as an intern in 2016, and Larry David was actually—he was actually at the practices then. He came out to practice, so that's when I actually met him. <laughs> and uh, seemed like a pretty knowledgeable guy. He was there. I mean, you know, every day Woody. I mean, with um, I don't know. If, I think Woody was there every day. Yeah, he was. And and uh, a lot of people know. But the, the thing is about New York is that the history has been so tough. So every coach that you hire is going to pay for the history of the team and New York is not an easy place to play by any stretch of the imagination. Fans are brutal. And I think one of the things that's probably was saving Adam Gates right now. There are no fans in the fans right now. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if the speakers are getting get them uh, to shiver at all anytime they're booing, but um, no, that's interesting. So I want, I want to ask you a little bit about your football career. How did you end up at, at uh, Florida state? Well, being a Miami boy, um, you know, I mean, obviously that's something that was odd back then. I mean, but I, I, at that time, I mean, I, I just really wanted to get out of Miami. Um, you know, I had my older brother, you know, start at Florida State also from 83 to 86. So I had an opportunity to go visit him a lot, spend some time in the summers, got a chance to know, to be around the program, you know, meet a lot of the coaches because they recruited him. Obviously, they came to the house, so I had a chance to meet them. So I've always felt like I was a part of Florida State, uh, even, I mean, through my brother's recruitment, so... 
Oh, cool. I have a question. So I was talking to Leroy Butler about a month ago, and he said that uh, Coach Bobby Baden was the only coach that showed up to his house to recruit him. Did he do the same for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he did it for my brother, came back for me. Wow. Uh, but obviously back then, I mean, Chuck Amato, who was a longtime assistant, was a, a you know one of the big-time recruiters for the South Florida area. Um, you know, obviously he, he was the main contact, but no, Coach Bowen definitely came to me. Coach Bowen's one of those guys to I me, mean, he's gonna come for that free meal. He loved that southern cooking. <laughs> that's why he's coming, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why. And so, was there an adjustment period for you, um, flipping from high school to D1? Oh, absolutely not. Really interesting. I, I would no, that was none. I, I would say, um, because I played tenaciously, I, I went out there to hit, I played full speed. I mean, I had no cares in the world, I went out there. And gave a hundred percent. So, and, and what you will find is that a lot of guys in college <laughs> still play like high school. <laughs> so, I think by the way I played, I threw my body around. I, I just I, I played the way you know, like Dick Buckets told me when I got won the Dick Buckets Award. He looked at me and said, "Thanks for playing the game the way it should be played." <laughs> and that's how I played the game recklessly. And when you play that, I played at a faster speed. I mean, I was a hundred mile an hour. It didn't matter. Shorts, full pads. I ran to the ball. It did not matter. Do you still have any interest in playing? Because I know the Washington football team needs an inside linebacker. Well, I mean, I know I'm better than at least one guy in the NFL right now. <laughs> oh. I can tell you that right now. Oh. Well, hell, I could. I, I know I could play on the Jets right now. <laughs> but uh, honestly, yeah, could you slide in there? I'd mostly. I mostly... mean, I, from seeing, I'm watching a couple <laughs> weeks back when a, when a team is third and what fifty. Yeah. <laughs> no, you could do you could do what they did. I remember Ray Lewis's last year when they won the Super Bowl. I remember those plays. They were crediting him with every tackle, and he would just be the last guy to jump on somebody. I, you could do that. You could do that. Oh yeah, for the, oh yeah. I can. I mean, money makes you do crazy things. Of course, you know? that's that's awesome. And then, so were you when you're at Florida State? Were you focused on school, uh, like on, on Florida State at the time, or were you were you uh, projecting for the NFL? Well, I would say going the way I played my freshman year. I mean, being a I mean, should have been a first-team All-American, but obviously being a freshman, they kind of don't give you all the accolades. So I ended up being a third-team All-American. Um, but once I got into my second year is when, I mean, I, I love school. I mean, you know, yeah, okay. But, <laughs> you know, I went <laughs> – I mean, that's, that's – you got to understand, when you come from the inner city, you come from families that didn't have much or poor families and things like that a lot of times, I mean – only way I was pretty much going to get into college a lot was, you know, through playing football or, or, or get earning a scholarship. My parents didn't have money to pay for me to to go to college so or, or through some grants or something like that. But, you know, once you get in there, you get a little taste of it. I mean, going to my second year, I mean, I mean, they were already projecting me as a, you know, a first round, of, you know, into my second year. So, you know, I did what I needed to do. To get what I needed to get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I saw, is it true? I saw you studied psychology. Is that true? Yeah, I'm still, yeah. I'm a psych, yeah. I, my, my schooling has all been in um, oh, cool. management, psychology, sociology, and um, some, some, some parts of sports. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's a, what was it like playing with Derek Brooks? Well, Derek was a, 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 a definitely a great player. I mean, Derek, I mean, um, I enjoyed playing with him. I mean, he was just a phenomenal player. Um, he and I had two different styles. I mean, Derek, you know, made a lot of big plays and, you know, I was known as a big hitter, um, you know, but I don't think that their 
probably between he and I, I don't think they're during that time period, or even for a long period of time, I don't think that there was two probably inside linebackers on the same team that wow. were better than us. That's wild. And then so what was your what was your draft process like? How did that whole thing go? Well, it was a tough process because, you know, um, I mean, obviously I wanted to get out and, 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 and take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, during that time, I mean, it wasn't, a lot of underclassmen had, I mean, we had uh, Terrell Buckley, you know, a year before that, or Dion, stuff like that. So coming out early wasn't a very popular thing, unless you knew you were going to be a top 10 pick. And after, you know, obtaining, you know, getting, putting the fillers out there and had guys checking with NFL teams. And I found out that, you know, hey, I was hell, I was going to probably, I could have been buying for number one, number two, or number three. So it was time for me to go. But I think the pivotal point for me was uh, playing at Georgia Tech. Um, in 92 season, my last season, and, and twisting my ankle and missing a game, missing the next game. And that kind of woke me up because I, to that point, I had never missed a game in college. So that kind of, going into my senior, I mean, my junior year, that woke me up that, you know what I mean? This could be real. I mean, I can't risk that. I mean, at that point in time, I mean, I was already the front runner for the Buckets, the Lombardi, you know, already in the Heisman talk, you know, I mean, there was, there was no point in coming back. Uh, unless it was for a national championship, but that's kind of for the school. That doesn't kind of do anything for my pockets. Yeah. <laughs> did, 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 did you know that the Jets were looking at you? Well, yeah. Well, when you go to when I went to the combine, I had some talks and talked to every team at that time. I mean, New England wasn't very good at the time. They were, I think, they had the number one pick, and um, Seattle had the number two pick, and. The Jets actually had the number three pick and Arizona Cardinals had the number four pick. So New England was, wasn't that good. I, uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of going all the way out to Seattle and being a Florida <laughs> boy. So, I mean, we met at the combine. I talked to Pete Carroll one-on-one. He, he was a defense coordinator at the time. And I, I said, look, man, whatever you do, please, please draft me. I want to come to New York. <laughs> Like that. So just out of the choices at that time, I mean, that's to me was the best place, uh, you know, opportunity to play football. Um, but at the same time, be able to, you know, if there was anything I want to do off the field, being in New York City would have been a perfect place to have, you know, kind of work on two, yeah. two careers per se. Of course. It's amazing how many fantastic coaches you played for. It blew oh, yeah. my mind. Bobby Bowden, Pete Carroll, Herm Edwards, you got uh, Bill Parcells. What, 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 how are they different? Well, you feel well, Belichick's defense coordinator too now. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> they, were, they were more different just on these styles. I mean, Belichick was very quiet. I mean, he was a quiet guy, but very assertive. I mean, you knew he meant business. Herm Edwards, I would say pretty much in the same boat, but more of a player's kind of coach. Uh, Bill Parcells didn't like, he treated everybody equally. So they're equally bad. So there was nothing there. <laughs> but uh, Pete Carroll was the fun loving guy. I actually built the toy parking lot up and built the basketball uh, oh. uh, court there and, and there. And, but he would always be at practice hitting golf balls and stuff like that. So he was a fun guy to be around. But I, I would say when you go, uh, when it comes down to business, I, I would tell you this um, Pete Carroll. Um, fun guy, but I can tell you when it comes to football, man, he is he 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 is all business. He's to in my eyes, he's a lot tougher than Belichick. In, really? In, anyway, Ooh. oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, he has that personality, but when it comes yeah. to football, oh no, no, no. Interesting. 
but Belichick is that study guy, that kind of grunt, that kind of grinder, you know, the kind of guy that, you know, like the guy that's out in the yard digging the ditches. That's the kind of work he does. But his personality is just, he just, I mean, he just doesn't project the personality. He just tell you, this is what I need you to do. But I mean, he can be uh, that guy. But the reason I think with Pete Carr is because Pete, it can love you and joke with you, have a great time with you. But man, when you, if you like, and you can get love into that. But then when he hits you with that football practice and stuff, man, it's rough. Pete is no, Pete is no joke. Was he always chewing gum back then too? <laughs> Pete, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, Pete, no, Pete's the same guy, fun guy. I mean, he's that same guy. I mean, I, I love him as a coach. I mean, he's just a. His styles is very complicated. His defense is a very complicated way he runs his stuff. You have to be a thinker. You cannot be a, a guy that doesn't understand football playing for Pete Carroll. Interesting. And then, so I know early on when your time with the Jets, the this, you guys didn't do that well, but you started to gradually pick up. What was it like having that early on, not really having success? And I assume you probably had most success prior to that. Well, coming out of college, um, I mean, hell, I think I, I was 32 and five in college. So I was, wow. you know, always in the top four, never finished outside the top four, being on a winning team, understanding the winning attitude. Um, you know, going to the Jets the first year, I mean, I ended up missing half the second half of the season with a fractured hip, and we went eight, eight that year. Um, that, that money part of it just complicates it. When you're getting paid to do a job, I mean, it, it took a lot of the fun out of it for me. So I really, and, and and with the losing, I just wasn't used to that. And and you can see that a lot of times in locker rooms when you have guys that are me guys. But, you know, it's something that you can't really control because, you know, all of these guys are professionals. They expect to do their job. And that's something that obviously the team or management has to handle. Um, but it, it's a different world when when you when you get into an NFL locker room and if you're losing you know why you're losing and you can understand why you're losing because they're just guys that have that selfish mentality whereas in college I mean you got guys that are having fun giving the best you're playing the best of the best uh there is no intrinsic you know reasons other than guys love the game and guys because majority of those guys off, off a college team aren't going to the NFL so this is their hurrah they have, you know, I mean, they got to get it all in then. So, yeah. um, but it, it's tough. It's it, it tough. It can, it can ruin you, but it, there's a trade-off. If you want to be a high pick and make a lot of money, you're going to always go to the worst team. Yeah. When did you feel the tides kind of turning and the kind of culture shifting? Well, that didn't happen until Bill Parcells got there. So you go, you got to go. My first three years, I had three head coaches. So that sucked. So just dealing with different personalities and I'm like, oh my God, I, I mean, and then I would say getting into my uh, fifth year when Bill came in, in 97, that's when I felt, that, I mean, the culture just changed instantly because he was a no-nonsense guy. He came and he put the hammer down, hell, he fired the security guards. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he got rid of everybody. <laughs> Secretaries, I mean, he got rid of everybody. You have to because in football, and that's the biggest lesson I learned, in football, Everybody in that building has to have the attitude of winners. I don't care if it's the secretary, secretary to the doorman. Everybody has to present that type of winning uh, enthusiasm in the building. Tickets, I mean, people that have tick, selling the tickets to everybody has to have that, that, that 
that mm, that you know that winning type of thing that they project on people. Because just think about it. I mean, if if you're a person that's on the outside of organization, you walk into an organization, that person at the front desk with a dull, like not a good attitude or excited attitude, it affects everything. Yeah. So you know, he 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 changed the whole culture, and that's why. I mean, I, I love him and thank him for it because hell, that was a blessing for me. Ninety-seven. I mean, you know, we we one game away from the playoffs. We lose that game last against the Detroit Lions and and still finish nine and seven. So I mean, we that was like our I think our worst year was well skipping a four a couple of years later, but eight and eight. But I mean, we've had all opportunity years that he was there. We had good opportunities to be in the playoffs. What was your reaction when they drafted Keyshawn number one? Well, remember Keyshawn came on the contact on the co-tight, right? Hey, what? Keyshawn, what, what year did Key, Keyshawn came in ninety five? What? Yeah, I can look at Well up. anyway, what a, what well, I'm trying to remember. But uh yeah, he well, he was on the co-tight, actually, I think, I believe. My mind doesn't serve me right. But anyway, I think it was on the co-tight, yeah. And uh I mean, it, it was a different day back then. I mean, because he was an outspoken rookie and talked a lot. And, uh, you know, that's not a lot of times when you have a veteran team because the NFL was more – more of your teams had a lot of older guys back then. So that wasn't real well uh, received. Um, you know, kind of like me being a first pick, first-round draft, and I may have said things in the locker room, and they'll look at me and say, look, shut up. You ain't been long enough. You're just a damn rookie. So it was still that kind of mentality there. So, but once Keyshawn got in, I mean, he ruffled feathers, but at the same time, the guy went out and played ball and he did what he needed to do. And that's how you earn your respect in this game. So as time went on, people just, you know, just accept that, you know what, that's just Keyshawn, you know what I mean? But, and then and, and, and you move forward. And then speaking of, speaking of you bringing up, like with kind of being heckled a little bit by the older guys, do you think an unfairly amount of pressure is put on rookie and second and third year guys early on by the fans while they're already getting it from the older teammates? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because once you enter into that arena of getting a paycheck, you, you I mean, you've already put yourself in that type of position um, to be judged or to be ridiculed or to be um, – you know, scrutinize uh, because that that's just part of it. Is that that's just part of the game? Do do we always feel like it's fair? No, absolutely not. But that 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 just comes along with it. But the guys that's going to thrive and be successful, are guys that are able to tune that noise out and not listen to it, and that's what I tell a lot of people who never played football. Yeah. It, it, the difference between football players and people in the entertainment industry is that we're used to we we've over time, learn how to block people out. Yeah. It doesn't affect us like that. Um, you know, whereas a lot of people, like I tell a lot of people, I mean, if somebody just took your life right now and flashed it all over the screen and put it every public place about your whole personal life, good and bad, how would you handle that? And, and until this day, like I tell people, I played in New York City, so it ain't really much you can say to hurt my feelings. I've, I've been in the worst, listen to the worst media of, of all. So, I mean, telling me, I mean, it's just very different. It, it makes you thick skin. What was what was the worst thing? What was the thing that really caught your attention? You were just like, damn, that you heard somebody say on the, either TV or radio while maybe you guys weren't playing that well. Just because New York was like my well, princess. I think one of the things during that period of time is I've learned for the, I mean, I, I would say there's people that have 
when when I've sat there for a couple of days and gave people interviews and they just totally turned the whole damn interview into something totally <laughs> negative that was positive for two days. I mean, those are the kind of things that all you know that just gives you that distrust in the media. But you know, um, I mean, you find those type of people out there. Yeah. Um, but you just have to kind of weed through them, and over time, I've learned who to deal with and who not to deal with, and kind of certain people that I would not give interviews to under any circumstance because you know what, if you're gonna write what you want to write, then you don't need me. Um, but I've come to respect a lot of guys that I still kind of, you know, tweet and you know, go back and forth with that I know that were good guys at, at the time that I always kept in contact with. Oh, cool. Who's the toughest guy for you to tackle in your entire career? None of them. <laughs> but I... All right, next question. But, but the hardest guy, I mean, one of your best players ever I, I, in my thing was Bill, uh, Barry Sanders, obviously. He was probably the best. I mean, he was he was hell. Um, you know, just his size, just being able to get your hands on him. He was just, he was a tough player. Well, well-conditioned athlete, got better as the game went along. So to me, he was probably during that, my time period. Yeah. He was definitely probably the, the, the toughest guy. Interesting. Do you, do you think people sleep on how good Curtis Martin was? Yeah, I think people do because Curtis wasn't an outspoken guy. Curtis is a, you know, a, a humble Christian dude. Um, he don't, he doesn't put a lot of media attention on himself in, 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 in football in this type of world. That's what kind of feeds the masses into people getting to know you and becoming popular. He, Cordis Mott was just one of those guys that just went out there and did his job. And, um, you know, so I think in many regards, that was the, the, the thing that didn't allow people to look at him as being one of the best, but was Curtis Curtis was a hell of a, a uh, hell of a running back. I mean, strong, could catch the ball, was smart. I mean, he was damn tough between the tackles. Um, you know, he didn't have that breakaway, breakaway speed, but he was definitely one of the best guys that, you know, in the, I would say probably, I mean, he would definitely be in the top 25 guys that ever played in the NFL. You know, he just didn't, he wasn't, if he was Deion Sanders attitude off the field, Curtis Martin would, would be considered one of the top guys ever. What, 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 what's your funniest Herm Edwards story that from like maybe your first interaction with him? Because he, he's very outspoken. Yeah, Herm is, Herm is special. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't get a really lot of stories out of Herm Edwards because Herm is just, I mean, he's pretty straightforward guy. I mean, he, you know, I mean, we had a, a decent relationship. I mean, um, you know, I, I consider him, I mean, I think he's a good guy. He wants to do well. I mean, you know, every, like I said, but everybody just has a way of how they do it. And, you know, um, you know, I was used to certain ways of how you do things and he did things a little differently, but you know, you know, I, I mean, I, I consider him a good guy. I'll leave it right there. <laughs> he always said you play to win the game. He said like every, I never curse on here. Did he, did he say that often? Or, or now? Well, yeah. Well, then, but um, yeah, I would say that he he's a guy that wanted to win. He was all about winning. I mean, you got to realize coming from Tampa Bay, you know, under Tony Dungy and playing with the type of players, Derrick Brooks and Warren Sapp and guys they had down on that defense. I mean, he was used to that kind of stuff. Uh, 
you know, one of the things, you know, you, we had a, a, you know, we just had a, our makeup of our staff was just very weird at that time, you know, especially defensively. We had, you know, Ted Cottrell was a defensive coordinator that was with Buffalo for many years. And, um, you know, we just had a different, a, a totally different makeup of, of, of a staff. And, you know, which in many cases, you know, it, it causes confusion sometimes. And, and, and I was confused at times, but again, you know, being a professional is what you have to go out and you have to do. You're going to be faced with adverse. You're not going to like everybody you work with, um, but you're, you're, you're there, you're paid to do a job and that's what you have to do. Yeah. So I want, I want to ask you a little bit more about the current Jets. Do you think we haven't given Adam Gase enough time? Well, I mean, that depends if you combine the time he had in Miami, too. So if, 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 I, if you're the GM, who's the next coach in the New York Jets? Because right now it's not looking too good. Well, all right. Well, I mean, since we're talking about this, well, I, I think you have to just go back into – I mean, if you look at how players are judged, players are judged on a couple things. Players are judged on more on – they're judged, judged a lot on their history, but they're judged a lot more on what their upside could be as yeah. what a team see with your potential. When you look at Gates a little bit, I mean, obviously Miami was a disaster. <laughs> um, you kind of go back to Peyton Manning. Well, okay, well, that's, that's, that's the one thing people hold that to work with Peyton Manning. Okay, but Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning long before he went to Denver. I mean, I played against the guy. You forgot that the Peyton Manning was in the AFC East before they realigned. So I played against the guy twice a year. He was great then. I can remember the first game when we played them, um, I'm trying to think, 94, I believe. And we beat there, we beat them like 90, I'm not 90 something, but like 45 to 3 or something. I mean, and we beat the hell out of them, but, and I told him, I said, man, I went up to him, I said, man, you know, you are one of the best, you're going to be one of the best damn guys that ever played this game. I saw that potential, no different than the same thing I saw with Tom Brady when Tom Brady came in as, as, as a rookie. And, you know, and you, you, you see those type of things. So, but he was great already. Yeah. So now if you take me now, if you're a coach and you take somebody that's, like, say, Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a fifth, sixth-round draft choice. Yeah. You take Tom Brady and make Tom Brady what he is, that's coaching. Yeah. I mean, the best thing to do with talent is what? Leave it alone. Yeah. Just let it do that. Now, you've had – now, look, Miami was a difficult situation, but no, I wouldn't even say that. I mean, he had Tannehill. Yeah, and then you let him go, and he, becomes, he takes him he, almost to the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Tannehill, then, you know um, – I mean, like I said, we, we held Sam back, you know, but look, Sam has had ups and downs. A lot of it non-football related. Like I said, coming in the last, he sits his rookie year. He comes in the second year. He has, uh, what, that mono. Yeah. He misses, I don't know, what, three, four games probably. Um, so he had no time to really gel with his wide receivers, in which he has some good guys. Robbie, I mean, we lose Robbie Anderson's eating hell. He's eating up, eating up in uh, Carolina. He's doing well in Carolina. Um, so they never really, I don't think, ever got that continuity. 
between those guys. And then you look at coming to this year when they finally do get the click in six and two at the end of the season, we let them go. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying now, now some of that times, a lot of times I think having uh, injuries can save a coach a lot of times. Um, but I don't think that that's going to be enough this year because no. Like I said, the only other thing besides the injuries is the fact that there aren't fans in that stand. Yeah. That's the other factor that I think right now that may prolong. Will he get canned during the season? No. They'll wait till the end of the year. There's no point in bringing somebody in because you got to pay him anyway. Yeah. So you might as well let him be tortured for the rest of the year if that's what's going to happen. You know, I, I want them to do well, but I mean, they're 0-4 right now. And looking at that schedule, buddy, it, it, it just doesn't seem. They got Flacco's, Flacco's playing Sunday. I heard Darnold's out. Well, right, with the shoulder. <laughs> uh, but you got to go. You got to look at it this yeah. way. We, play, we played against Denver. Denver had seven or eight practice squad players. <laughs> they got Mark Rippon's nephew out there looking like an all-pro. Right. So, <laughs> and then you go back the week before, and, and the defense was bad. I mean, against the, 40, uh, the, the 49ers. They were had a backup, too. Right, that's what I'm saying. It was, it was so. If you can't win, if they win that game on Thursday night, it may turn a corner for them to maybe produce a maybe two, three wins, you know. But them losing that game, now coming back having to play, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. And I think a lot of that can be, you know, what are you gonna do at this point? Because if you zero and four, right, you got a veteran quarterback in Flacco who does have experience. So to me, what if Flacco goes out there and plays and, and handles the thing and moves the ball? I mean, I know it's going to still be Sam Donald's job, but as a coach, where do I go from here? Because you know what? At the same time, because I probably know I'm going to get canned, I mean, I'm still going to try to win some games. Yeah. Do you think long-term they're going to regret trading Jamal Adams? Hell, they're regretting it right now. I mean, Greg Williams' defense looked like shit. I mean, I mean, it looks it looks worse than it's looked in a long time. I mean, when we look at it, I, I'll just tell you this, because once Jamal got traded, they played the first game, they lose at um, Buffalo. Okay? I look at that game. I said, man, the Jets don't look that bad. Because they didn't. I mean, May had a Mar um, uh, May, um, Marcus May, yeah. uh, had a good game. I mean, that was one of probably his best games because he had been nicked up in the past. He had a, a good game. I already knew McDougal coming from Seattle. Obviously, if Pete Carroll caught him, the guy does have some potential. He played for Pete Carroll. So he, but once they got past that game, I was like, whoa, wow. And then all of a sudden, and, and what's weird is you, you bring in Perriman to replace Robbie Anderson, and Perriman ain't played either. So it's like it's like when they say <laughs> you got Braxton Berrios. Now, now I, doesn't. I like Braxton Berrios. He's not bad. I'll give him that. He's not bad. He's he's a good guy. I mean, he's he, you know obviously a group third receiver. Yeah. You know if you're gonna use him as like a West Welker type, but he ain't no number one. Um, but um, it, the Jets have just they made a tough situation tougher. I think when you look at just the last. Within the last 10 years, that's just I me mean, between Isaac and all. I mean, we just, we've just played, we've not built any foundation. 
Um, and that's the problem. I mean, if you look at all the guys we let go, a lot of guys that didn't turn out. You, you, you look how much money we invested so much money in. Um, I mean, Sheldon Richards is playing well over in, in the Browns. Yep. I mean, um, where's Wilkerson? Where's Wilkerson now? I haven't heard of that name in a while. Well, that's another situation. <laughs> uh, I don't think hell. I don't know if he's playing. I, I don't think he's playing anymore. No. Um. He, so that's been wow. And I they, mean, pay, they paid that, really that, that that corner of last year where they gave a lot of money and they, they cut him. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what was his name? The dude who was on the Rams. I know he's talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I, I, I yeah. I know no. he's talking about. I cannot think his name. Yeah, <laughs> they paid him crazy money. So what I'm saying, we've been paying these guys. It's not been producing. You look coming in this year. We, the Jets have probably got sixty million dollars sitting over there that are not playing this year. Between Mosley, Mosley hadn't played in two years. <laughs> Remember, he got hurt the first game. I mean, early last season with the growing, he didn't play no more the year, and he opted out of this year. I, I used to see Mosley when he was on the Ravens. I went to Towson. I used to see him out at the bar like a night or two before the game. So, so he was he, he was always very pleasant. But we need you got you guys need him on the field. Um, yeah. But yeah, and the thing is with them, like I said, the Jets have not built the foundation. Um, if you look at the best years of the team, even when our years, I mean, we may have we've had a couple culture change at that time, but we were a veteran team. Benny Tesverdi, Chad Pennington, Curtis Martin, myself, Mo Lewis, guys like Brian Cox, um, that were able to help those young guys. So we had that type of stability to build. You you gotta have it. They don't have it. You cannot. It's no different. I'm going to tell you exactly what it's like. Florida State and the New York Jets are pretty much the same in a lot of ways. The New York Jets, I mean, the Florida State, Jimbo leaves. They hire Willie Tiger for two seasons. Guess what? Well, when Willie Tiger gets fired, you lose those two recruiting classes. All the recruits he's went after, they're all going to leave and decommit. So now you get nothing. So you have two years of recruiting loss. No, no different than the Jets. The, since Todd left, what, 27, uh, no, no, 2017, 2018. What do you have for the last two? They've lost four years. Four years. I was there in, in, interning in 2016. There ain't one guy on that team in four years. How do you not have one guy? Wait, that's one contract. And I can remember, and I was watching TV when I watched the Broncos game of the night. Guess one guy that was on the Broncos that was on the Jets team that got cut? Shelby Harris. He was on the Jets? Yes. <laughs> it's phenomenal. He's great. I mean, wow. He was he was on the he got cut during the period of time when I, I was there interning. He Shelby Harris was there. And he got cut. But they had that year, they had Sheldon Rickerson, Sheldon, uh Muhammad, um pretty good D line. But McClendon, um, Obviously, Jenkins, they still got. Um, but I remember that, and I watched that, and, I, and I'm, you know, and I traveled a lot in, in Colorado. So, I mean, I still keep in contact with Shelby yeah. Harris, and I see him all over the TV, and see, I was like a leader of the team. Yeah. Um, but we, he was on that team. I know, I know they were picking on Pierre Desir the other night. You think if they called Revis, he might be interested in playing half a season? or No. <laughs> no, they're going to go with that guy. And I'll tell you what, now – Initially, the way it looked, it looked like it was going to be a horrible night for him. Yeah, I think, it's two but picks. I think the kid turned it around. I mean, yeah. he, he came back a pick six, 
came back and he had, he had two interceptions. Yeah. So, but that's what you have to do because that's what a, a good offensive coordinator will do. When he finds that weak week, he's going to continue to go after it and go after it until you either make something happen or, or, or change or you put somebody else in there, which is obviously he's the best what they got. So the next guy they put in is going to be worse. <laughs> but he's going to make you, uh, you know, they're going to play that chess game with you. He's going to keep going until you can shut it down. And that kid showed up and he did that. So there's no point in making a change there. I think you. I think right now what you got is a player that's turned the corner. Do you, do you think Chris Herndon's the real deal? Everybody's been hyping him up. I never hear him calling a name on during the games. Beat the question. Chris Herndon. Every year they're like, oh, it's a breakout. Somebody I was talking to people earlier. They said you break oh, you out mean tight, that tight end. Yeah, they they were saying Noah Fant, T.J. Hawkinson, Chris Herndon. Remember those names this year? I've only heard two of them this year. Well, I'll say this. <laughs> I think Beckton is the best player on the offense. <laughs> Probably the fastest. <laughs> fastest, toughest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think I think there's a huge disconnect between the coach and this team. That's 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 what I believe, and that's not just blowing smoke. Of course, that's because I've been. If there's anybody that can speak on coaching changes and, yeah. and all of that type of stuff, I can. Yeah. I've had six <laughs> NFL head coaches in 11 years. Wow. So I understand certain things that happen. And I can look at the sideline. I can look at the game. And I can tell where there's that disconnect. Um, and that's where that, – that's a huge disconnect because if, if you watch games as they go along – okay, I'll give you an answer. You look at Josh McDaniels. Okay. Uh, up at the Patriots. Well, he and his quarterbacks have a good relationship. They always sit on the sideline talking, going over stuff. And I don't see that. And it's always an issue. There's always been some issue with that connection. You can look at going into the offseason. Um, Le'Veon Bell and, and Gase. Um, you know, well, I want to be back. Well, this guy says, what's up to Joe Douglas? You know what I mean? It, it's that. Jamal Adams, same thing. It, you know, you go back to Miami. Miami had one of the best running backs in the uh, – best running backs. The one that went to the Eagles when they went to the Super Bowl. I cannot think of his name. Oh, Ajay. Ajay. Yeah. He must have been. Got rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, honestly, I, I kind of look around and I see, like, I mean, obviously, you know, the ownership and management have things to do, but I, I just think that there's that disconnect with that. I, I think that when you coach, the coach and the GM has to be on the same page because the GM, obviously Joe Douglas is probably wanting to have his own, build his own things the way he wants to. Um, it's just a lot of things right now going on with Jess doesn't make sense. I mean, we go through last year, guys being injured. That was a big problem, guys being injured. Now we got a first-round draft choice that has a shoulder injury that shows up at the game that wasn't expected to play, but the guy gets hurt. The other guy gets hurt in the first series, and he's thrown out there. This is one of the best freaking guys on your team. Why is he even there? <laughs> do, you, do you sit through from, from, from start to finish these chess games, or is there a point where you sometimes you say, you know what, I can't watch this? No, I watch him. I, I watch the game because that's the only way I can make a comment on my watch. 
the games for that purpose, but it's just difficult. I mean, it's like, like I said, that makes absolutely no sense. You throw your first round draft pick out there and out there in the fire with a shoulder injury yeah. in a game that means nothing. They're playing at practice. Well, I guess, I mean, Denver was, but then after the game, we, we, I forget. I mean, I, I know it came about the game and it was, you know, something. Yeah. Whereas he didn't, he didn't, wasn't going to injure any worse, but why? I don't know. No, well, we had that problem last year with offensive linemen. Because I think one of them even tried to sue the team after that because they kept making them play hurt. There was a big squabble. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about that. So it's like we're just doing things that don't make sense. I mean, why in danger, you know, stuff like that. And I, I think that kid was pissed, too, because I saw a look on his face. A Becton? Why? You know, like, why am I <laughs> you guys doing that to me? That's but, wild. you know, I love the Jets. Always support the organization, the team. Always want the best for them, but sometimes it's okay to be a little critical yeah, um, of the team that you want to win. I mean, being a former player, obviously, I take it a lot yeah. more personal, but um, I've always been a person I believe I'm always going to be loyal. I'm loyal to my team. I'm not loyal to the coach. Of course. Coaches come and go, but the organization yeah. is, is yeah. the organization. Do you, do you have a lot of players, like current current players or maybe past players that have reached out to you knowing that you had success with the team to say, like, hey, what should I do just to get there? No, well, not really. Interesting. I think once players get to a certain level, they already know everything. They don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't need help. <laughs> no, it it's not like when I went in my days. When when you look to veterans for help, it's not like that anymore. There, there's not that. I mean, you got to remember hell. I mean, you you get back. Let's just take a step back. Let's go look look at colleges. For many years, we all live where dormitories. Of course, we all live together. Yeah. Players don't live together anymore, so they don't have that. When we were sitting in our dorm room, sitting everybody going from room to room, playing cards, yeah. building that camaraderie. Now they don't have that like they used to. Um, and I think a lot of that's just once it goes through college and it goes to the NFL. I mean, we had, you know, I don't know if a lot of teams do it. Some coaches may require them to do it, but we did a lot of time we spent together. Every Monday night as a team, we went down to the local bar, which in the back, they had a big room they set up for the players. They put, we watched the game. They put the game on. We played cards and all that kind of stuff. We did a lot of stuff like that, you know, but from my understanding, from me talking to people that's inside the NFL, I mean, a lot of that stuff just doesn't transpire anymore like that. It's like, bam, once they walk out of the gate, all right, see you. And, you know, I was thinking the other day about the story with uh, when they asked Steve, uh, what's his name, Steve Smith about the Cam Newton thing. He said, well, I really didn't know him. I mean, I was an older guy, had a family, so I didn't really hang out with them, them young single guys. But, hell, that's your quarterback. Well, Cam, <laughs> Cam's also sending out those group messages where you don't know what the hell he's saying in the in the funny font. You, you go to the wrong place. You go to the wrong bar. No one's there. But, um, no, it's, it's – Right. But so, I think <laughs> – but I think that's part of society now. Yeah. And the only thing you're just looking at society – I mean, football players are society, part of society, and things in society going to creep into that world. Yeah. And you're just not going to find that closeness or players – you know, that type of uh, what, what we had, uh, that congenuity between the players amongst themselves. You just, that's just society now. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, 
But teams that are able to foster that, I'm sure that happens. I mean, I'm sure Belichick and New England, those guys are doing it. I mean, that that's like, you know, New England's probably one of those teams where before they bring a guy there, he acts, and they probably, the players, he, the players probably tell him, you know what, if you come up here, you, you, you better be ready to go. And cause we're not having it. That's what the players demand. When you have good coaches, those players demand that guys like McCoy, uh, they're going to demand that you come in there with the right attitude. You go to uh, uh, Seattle, you're going to, they're going to demand that type of attitude that you come in, in, in with there. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a distant cousin that plays on the Patriots, Kyle Duggar. So, oh, oh, uh, oh, yeah, the second rounder. Yeah, that's my mother's sister's grandson. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, so he's doing well. So yeah, yeah, that's um, awesome. Hey, Belichick's taking a guy. You know, he sees something. So like, yeah, but he's he was well. He's I think he he was the he was like the first. Division two player picked in the first three rounds. Yeah, years, seven eight years. So yeah, that's um, but he's doing well. I've been watching him play, so he's doing really well. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm happy. So it doesn't matter how long he plays by him starting off playing for Belichick, whether he yeah. makes it plays there yeah. for a career. Yeah, but if he goes any other team, they're gonna get a great player because of that attitude and all that other good stuff that's gonna come with it. Yeah, I have a question. Um, were you grateful that you you get to spend your entire career with one team? Am I grateful? I mean, did you, was there ever a time where you were looking back on it? You're like, I'm glad I really didn't move around that much. Like, cause now, now guys, you just, everybody's I'm glad in many ways. I think I had a lot of, opp- I did have other opportunities to leave and go to other teams. And sometimes I question that. And, and a lot of that's just because of the winning aspect of it, because especially early on, well, early on, I really couldn't do much about it. Cause once you sign a rookie contract, I mean, you, you know, first round you committed to five years regardless. And, and they wasn't allowing players to move like they do now because remember, uh, free agency didn't start until 1993. I was drafted in 93. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of teams wasn't, I mean, that was kind of once I got there when guys started moving and guys started moving, but you know, it was always, a unheard of thing to have guys play that. I mean, myself playing that 11 years, uh, my other teammate, Mo Lewis was there 13 years. Oh, wow. So we, you know, during that time, we had the second longest tenure of NFL teammates in history behind um, Frank, uh, Frank Winners and Brett, uh, Brett Favre. And, oh, wow. and the Packers. Um, so that was rare, but I mean, I, I do at many times wonder what it could have been because I had a lot of my teammates, what happened? Scott Pioli leaves the jet, goes to New England, take players with him. Brian Cox, Bobby Hamilton, uh, Roman Pfeiffer, guys that I played with, and they all go to Super Bowls, win the Super Bowl. James Farrier, who I don't know why the hell we let him go. He goes to <laughs> Pittsburgh, wins two rings. He did, pretty, he did pretty well over there. I mean, I mean, we let these guys, I mean, they go, they they, they won their Super Bowls, and I always wonder, like, you know, what if I had made that choice to, you know, just say, you know what, let me just go and do my thing but I, I you know I was kind of I was just loyal I mean I, I knew New York it was comfortable I was there knew the people knew the city knew the organization so you know it just really wasn't that I didn't have a any ear or anger or hate towards the organization they've always treated me fairly when I had contracts come up I mean yeah well there were there's tough negotiations that time yeah but you know what they always did right by me so I, I can't question that though how cool was it to, to to sign that one day contract and retire as a jet? Well, it was great two years later. Yeah. 
It was, <laughs> That's awesome. I no, it was great being able to do that. I was, but I, I, I was a little pissed by the way things happened because when, I, when we were released, me and Mo Lewis got both got released in early 2004. And I mean, it was just a one-liner. You would think after really? years and I spent 11 years that we would have had something. But yeah. so 2005, when we had that, that was the first time that we pretty much had been contacted by them to do anything. So, um, you know, it's kind of when I watch a lot of these other players lead their organization that's been there 10 years, 11 years, hell, they give them a press conference and yeah. be like, you know, you know, but that's just what it is. You know, yeah. Hey, yeah. man, it's hey. a trade-off. You take yeah. the money. <laughs> that's how it works. Do, do you think the New York market appeal has is still around in the NFL? Like no. players will no. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. And the reason that is, you're paying fifty percent all these damn taxes. Yeah, the taxes kill you. Um, a lot of the players, and, and, you know, and I look at a trend. I've seen a lot of guys go to New York get a lot of money, and they went for the money. It wasn't because they could help the team. I mean, I look at all of them, you know, it's like they wanted that payday. The Jets offered them that payday. I mean, look, I'm just saying, you go back to guys that's on that team now. Yeah. I mean, how do you not play all last season and then you opt out the next season? I'm pretty sure the Jets offered Cousins more than the Vikings. They probably did. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would have been worth it. Yeah. They would have ran them out of there by now. But um, you'd be selling insurance. You know, I think the toughest thing, and I, I mean, I blame some of it could be on ownership, but I just think New York, no matter where, whether you're playing for the Giants or the Jets, it's a tough place to play. Yeah. Fans put a lot of pressure. Um, you know, they can make or break teams with the fanfare. I think that is just a tough place to play all around for the media. I think a lot of decisions sometimes are made based upon what the perception of you know, the city as a whole is. And, you know, they're heavily influenced by a lot of that because number, people don't go to the games. You know, people in New York tell you they're not going to games, they're not going to games. Yeah. They mean what they say. That they they don't play with that stuff. But I think that, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, this this year's this season's probably gonna be one that's not non-salvageable. I just don't see it with the injuries. Um um they haven't given you know you haven't gotten any hope that there probably will be just what are they gonna do at this point? I mean, with especially with the COVID thing going on, you just can't yeah. bring players in and all off the yeah. street, replace players. Um, what good quarterbacks you have out there if you do need another one? No, I mean wide receiver market, and I mean it, it, and with that schedule they have, it's it, it's gonna be tough. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool if they but if they bailed me out of that shitty '96 season we had. <laughs> I mean, but they got to go 0 16, which I hope they don't. Yeah, I have a question. Do, do anybody ever, does anybody ever tweet at you thinking that you're uh, Marvin Jones Jr. on the Lions? People ask me that all the time, but I had a guy today tweeted Marvin Jones Jr. thinking he was me because <laughs> my son is on there. And he's Marvin Jones Jr. too, but not he doesn't have yeah. the official stamp. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why because people are people in Twitter are fantastic. Um, but that that's really all the really questions I really have for you. Um, but and how can people find you on social media? Find you, not the other Marvin Jones on social media. Well, they can find me on t- <laughs> Twitter and Instagram at Marvin Jones Jets. M A R V I N J O N E S J E T S. Both yeah. your platforms. Um, 
you know, I thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Being able to express myself because, you know, you you probably got the most content out of me anybody's gotten out of me. I mean, as far as real truth and content, my 100% feelings, because as you get older, yeah. you know, things just come out. I mean, I mean, hell, they ain't, hired, they ain't gonna hire me anyway. So what, <laughs> what do I gotta hold They back? might, they might hold you, you never know. <laughs> Greg, William, Greg, William, Greg Williams is putting up those wanted ads for opposing offenses. They might need a new D coordinator. So keep your, keep your phone up, your, your phone up by <laughs> No, that's all right. I'll let that burn back. <laughs> Yeah, but it's been a lot of fun. I want to thank you again. I've got no-